This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Shaw. As a practicing orthopedic surgeon who's performed hundreds of procedures on NFL players and as the former longtime head team physician for the San Diego Chargers, Dr. Chow uses his insider knowledge to decipher injuries to a documented 95% accuracy level. He's the Sirius XM sports medical analyst and is quoted everywhere from Sports Center to NFL Live. More than 100,000 followers can't be wrong. Following him on Twitter, looking for his instant insights on injuries during games. Now, Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Pro Football Doc podcast, post week 12, Thanksgiving week podcast. Happy Thanksgiving week to everybody. Happy Turkey. And welcome to our show, producer Greg Peterson. Dr. Chow, happy Thanksgiving to you. Hope everything is going well this week. Yeah, everything's good. You know, uh, chugging along. Uh, I'm looking forward to the short week and three football games on Thursday. That's pretty cool. <laughs> not, not only is it cool for Thursday, it makes Sundays more enjoyable because, boy, when there's nine games on at that early game slot, it's hard to keep track. I don't know about you. It's very hard to keep track of everything. I have no idea what was going on. Why would you have two games in that 1.05 p.m. Pacific slot and then all the 10 a.m. Pacific games are like nine of them? That's just absolutely ridiculous. Well, I'll tell you why, Greg. And I get it's ridiculous and you're singing my song. And I wish it wasn't that way. Instead of nine and two, what is wrong with seven and four, right? I mean, what's the big deal, right? You should be able to fit it at least on a DirecTV eight box, right? And uh, and then the afternoon games four on a, on a four box, it'd be much, much better. But here's why, and I'm not defending the NFL. I'm saying I wish it weren't this way. But think about it this way, Greg. Here's the explanation. Pull up a map of NFL cities. It is very much an East Coast and even a Northeast-based league. If you look at the distribution, uh, and the country is sort of an East Coast and Northeast-based country in terms of population. And if you look at time zones, the majority of teams are out that way. And when you have teams that are on a bye, like the Chargers and some other West Coast teams, and then you have a team where the schedule quirk is, you know, the Seahawks are playing in Philadelphia, and uh, the Raiders are playing in New York, this is kind of what you get. You have to give credit to the Patriots. They were playing at home, and they agreed to a 425 local time kickoff. I mean, it's getting dark. They basically agreed to a night game, and they could have insisted on a a 1 p.m. kickoff, I believe. Then it would have been 10 and 1. But Here's another topic that we'll talk about today. And Greg, you know, you and I haven't rehearsed this at all. I, I kind of like the spontaneity. I like the spontaneity. One of the other topics was like, you know, of course the Jets won because of the early kickoff game for the Raiders on the East Coast. If that is talked about as a theoretical advantage, why would the Jets agree to make it a 4 p.m. kickoff local time, 1 p.m. West Coast time kickoff? to make it easier on the Raiders. That's a competitive advantage of having the home game. Make them play at 10 a.m. their time, right? So there's more to it than the NFL being mean to us and making the games happen the way that they are. The home teams 
TV has a lot of say, and that's probably why that Cowboys-Patriots game was in the afternoon. TV wanted it that way, right? They needed a, a national broadcast to have. And then the Packers game but, was flipped to the Sunday night game. Correct, right. And uh, and uh, so the, the Packers game there, it, it, it vacated that, that window. Nobody was making the Jets flip it to uh, 4 p.m. kickoff local time, right? So that's where it actually makes some sense. It's not an evil plot by the league. It's just the way that it falls. Uh, but I agree with you. I'd love it the other way, right? I mean, if you're a Jets fan, uh, why would you want it moved back? You're used to going at 1 o'clock, and this is just the way that it is. Uh, you know, if kids are going, they could actually go instead of a 4 o'clock game getting home later at night. So I'm glad you bring that up. And, you know, some teams seem to not worry about that. I mean, uh, Seattle certainly didn't have a problem playing that early kickoff. Uh, the Raiders seem to. As you know, I was with the San Diego Chargers, and that was talked about a lot. These early kickoffs, and team would do teams would do all sorts of things. We used to practice at 10 a.m. the week leading up to the game, right? We used to set our all our clocks differently and different things. And sometimes it just is what it is in terms of the travel. And for those teams, and this is a little hint for you, for as much as you say that the travel is no question travels harder for on the west coast teams because they're so far away and quite honestly this is one of the reasons i say london is not impossible because if you look at the miles the seattle seahawks log it's probably depending on the season depending on the the schedule not much different than what a london team would log because you know, if you go from New York City to London, it's not that much further than New York City to, to L.A. It's not that much further. The West Coast teams always have the worst of the travel in terms of distance, and they always have the worst of the travel on the way to a game based on time zones and what have you. But let me tell you, the East Coast teams absolutely have the worst of the travel on the way home. Imagine how they're not even East Coast, but imagine how miserable Green Bay is this morning. My guess off the top of my head is they didn't get home till 4 a.m. Might even be 5 a.m. Think about it. The game ended about, let's say, 8.30, a little before 9 o'clock Pacific time. That's 11 p.m. in Green Bay. By the time they pack up and get out of the stadium, it's at least midnight. By the time they get on their charter and load up and go, it's at least 1 it's at least a, what, three-and-a-half-hour flight? So that already puts you at 4.30. It's even later than I thought. By the time you land, unload, and get home, you're at 5.36 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, my dad actually uh, lives out in Wisconsin, does a lot of work in San Francisco, minimum four hours. Right. So you think, you th- I mean, this is a short week for, for the Packers. <laughs> I mean, their they're Monday's gone. Their Monday's recovering even Tuesday from this time zone uh, change, and especially with the night game. So – the travel works both ways, but I agree with you. I wish uh, we could even out the games a little bit there. But thank you very much for that spontaneous topic, uh, Greg. I think you that got it. Proves more interesting uh, than most. A second topic here um, we'll say here is talk about is, you know, this injury prone thing keeps popping up. And I keep seeing everywhere today, Carson Wentz, he's injury prone. What's his deal? He can't stay healthy. We don't like him. First of all, the quarterback that everyone likes in, well, not everyone, the quarterback that Eagle fans pine for if they hate Carson Wentz, 
is Nick Foles. And didn't he get injured week one of this season? Number two, Carson Wentz hurt his hand, and it's not bad. He's tough. He finished the game. And how did he hurt his hand? It was a botched handoff exchange, but I don't know that you can say Miles Sanders or Carson Wentz were at fault. I'd say the team, the whole right side of the line was out between Brandon Brooks with the anxiety and Lane Johnson with the concussion. And that's where the pressure came immediately, disrupting the handoff. And give your guy credit, Carson Wentz. He chased down the D lineman on the backside to prevent a score and actually caused him to, to fumble the ball. And I mean, he was making a play and he contusion or jammed his hand. And it turns out to be just that. X-ray's normal, no ligament damage, not a Drew Brees issue with grip of the ball. It's actually a third finger somewhere in the hand that was jammed or contused. But everyone's like giving him grief for being injury prone. Um, I don't think he's injury prone. I mean, he had an ACL, LCL injury, came back quickly, maybe too quickly, and that's why he wasn't 100%. Then developed the back issue kind of as a result of the, the knee. So those two are linked. And now he has a hand issue because of this. I mean, look, I don't think the guy's injury prone. I don't really like that injury prone thing, but it's funny how fans get on people. I mean, heck, he's playing through everything. If anything, I think he's tough. But when you get hurt, Greg, and you don't play well, you're injury prone. When you get hurt and you come back and have a game like George Kittle, you're a hero, and they don't worry about you being injury prone, right? I mean, uh, they don't use that designation. So it's kind of about perspective, but I don't love injury prone unless they're linked injuries, they're the same injuries, they're preventable injuries. That's where we might get into injury prone. I mean, once is the game of football and, uh, and traumatic injuries. Then, uh, well, one thing I forgot about uh, to talk about the travel. Greg, uh, you must hate the travel. Your, your, your Packers are all world except in California. And go figure because Aaron Rodgers is a graduate of the University of California. Yeah, I mean, they got ambushed by the L.A. Chargers. That still is hard for me to say, L.A. Chargers. Anyways, they got ambushed a few weeks ago by the L.A. Chargers. And, I mean, I'd say they weren't even in the game at all last night against the, the 49ers. Two, two not fun trips home, getting home at 5.36 a.m., that's for sure. Oh, agreed. They just need some home cooking and Lambo. Yeah. And then let's see. Uh, one other interesting thing we'll talk about before we move on to our special guest today. Andrew Brandt had an interesting article. And and you know what, Greg? We should probably get Andrew Brandt on the show. I'll, I mean, he's terrific, I really, yes. I, re- I think he's terrific. I don't really know him personally, but I don't know. Someone I know must know him. <laughs> or, oh, I'm sure Andrew Brandt is listening. Andrew Brandt, since you're listening and because you're such a faithful pro football doc follower, joking um yeah dm me <laughs> call me you know, call me maybe whatever that song is anyways he wrote an interesting article basically talking about medical issues and it was kind of covering trent williams and kalechi Osemele. but basically he's talking about distrust distrust among the uh nflpa and the agents a built-in distrust of team medical doctors, team medical staff. Quote, he wrote an article, I have it in my Twitter timeline, uh, he's talking about medical disputes between players and teams happen much more than we know. 
And the quote that I pulled out was this, an undeniable trend fueled my agents and the NFLPA is that the default setting for players is now distrust towards team medical personnel. I think that's true. I saw it coming in the towards the end of my time with the San Diego Chargers. I think I told this story once. There's an agent who I respect who literally every, he had a lot of mid-level guys, good guys. And every time someone got a simple ankle sprain, he would send them out for a second opinion. I'm like, he rolled his ankle like playing basketball, like a basketball type injury. He's fine. Why do you need the second opinion? Well, we just need to do this and whatever. And then he would send me like his players from the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm like, wait a minute. Am I a good doctor or am I a bad doctor? It has nothing to do with it. It's just the bias. They feel like the players, the doctors work for the team. And there's this inherent distrust. Uh, and I see it. And the NFLPA encourages the second opinions. Look, Greg, I always say to my regular patients even today, but even to players, if someone, a doctor ever tells you, don't go get a second opinion, you should run to go get one. But what I often say to patients or to players is, you're free to go get a second opinion. I'm not sure you need one because it's pretty darn straightforward. And a lot of times they still go just to be sure. I think the the easiest way to get distrust is if you block that. First of all, you don't have a right to block it. So uh, I just encouraged it and, and let it happen. And I figured honestly was the best policy. But the way I always handled it was if you work for any company, you need to take care of the assets of the company. So if you work for a bank, you need to take care of the money, right? Um, and uh, for in any financial institution. Well, if you work with a team, what are the assets? The assets are the players. So you just have to take care of the players and then it all sorts itself out. So the other suggestion that some people have is to make the doctors independent. We can do a whole show on why that logistically wouldn't work. And uh, quite honestly, the players in the locker room wouldn't wouldn't want that to happen either. But that's uh, that's for another time. But if you get a chance, read that uh, article from Andrew Brandt. I think it's a good one. All right, let's uh, take a quick break here, and we'll come back with our special guest, Will Brinson, uh, uh, for part two of the Pro Football Doc podcast. This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Schaff. All right. Welcome back to segment two of the Pro Football Doc Podcast, our special guest segment. Very excited to have on Will Brinson today from CBS Sports. Will is everywhere. He's ahead of his time. And to be honest, I've never you know, really done much with Will. We, I've been on the CBS uh, Fantasy uh, Sports Podcast and other things that he's been on, and we've kind of crossed paths, but we've never really chatted. Or uh, So this is purely off the cuff and cold. And Will, I apologize. I'm not a professional interviewer, but uh, so glad to uh, have you on the show. Oh, Doc, I do everything off the cuff. I don't, uh, I don't plan. I don't prep um if i if they hadn't given me a producer uh for my podcast it would be a, a, a roving disaster I, I typically uh my prep for the podcast is like watching football and buying beer and uh and then <laughs> um and then and then i like <laughs> they actually uh they actually um on our po- on the pixie podcast my daily nfl show that i do uh ryan wilson 
like I like to not, not like I can diagnose anything like injuries. Cause I'm, you know, just a guy who went to college for eight years, not a doctor. Um, but the, uh, but like, you know, I like pointed, I can't remember what I was talking about. I was talking about like a patellar tendon or like a list Frank injury. And, um, uh, and, and Ryan, uh, Wilson decided to start calling me bro football doc because I am not a doctor and not good at diagnosing injuries. So it, like, like a, a lovely little playoff on, on pro football doc. I'm bro football doc. So I'm happy. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. That sounds good to me. So my first question, since you bring it up for bro football doc is what kind of beer? Uh, you know what? I had, um, last night during the Sunday show in a uh, celebration of, of, of hitting the Cleveland over and, uh, the Browns minus 10. I had a little Great Lakes Christmas ale from the greater Northeast Ohio area. Fantastic beer. I'm usually like an IPA guy, but it's colder in North Carolina here now. Uh, it popped up at Total Wine. It's an awesome beer, so I uh, I fired that up. But yeah, typically an IPA guy. But I will uh, once it gets a little cooler outside, I'll start indulging in some 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 darker some darker offerings. Gotcha, gotcha. And like I said, since we're off the cuff and steering it whichever way the the conversation goes. Eight years of college. I mean, I remember uh, Animal House. Six years of college down the drain. Eight years of college. Uh no, it's not really that many. I just like to, I like to joke about. It. My dad likes to say, you know, most people. Uh, he likes to use the Tommy Boy line on me. I was I was a I was a you know I was a a fifth year plus senior. My dad likes to joke. He's like, you know, a lot of people go to college for eight years. They're called doctors. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, uh, I I had fun in college, and that uh, you know maybe maybe it extended my my tenure there a little bit longer than it needed to. Well, uh, yeah, you mentioned it a little bit here, but uh, maybe we should plan for maybe you should always plan to be on the Pro Football Doc Injury Podcast because you basically hit every pick this week. Uh, yeah, I did. I did. I, uh, I I got a little hot this week, and uh, it was pretty exciting. I, I um I had a really rough week in week eleven. I think I went like I had like three wins against the spread, and I think a lot of times, you know, when you're you know, when you're, when you're doing, and I straight up, I killed it this week. I think it was like 12 and two or something like that. But a lot of times when you're picking games in the NFL, it is easy to get flustered by a bad week and to overcompensate and to like go with what you saw the week before. And I think you have to be principled. Like sometimes, you know, some weeks you're just going to get, you know, take an L and, um, and you, and you need to stick by what you think. But you know, if you, if you, if you think you're good at it and, or you can pick games and you need to, or analyze football, you, you need to, you need to stick with what your eyes are telling you and sort of what the market is saying. And this week felt like a pretty nice bounce back week. And, uh, it, it certainly worked out well. So, I mean, I, you know, like, you know, you got to get a couple lucky bounces here and there, but yeah, I mean, I felt, I feel pretty good about it. I think I went, uh, 10 and three against a spread this week. That's not bad with the, uh, with the Rams pending on, uh, on Monday night and then maybe even better straight up. It was, uh, 11 and two straight up. Yeah. Not a bad week for your boy. No. And some of your picks and even your totals, they, they crushed. I mean, it wasn't even close. Most of them, right? The only one that might have been close was that the Falcons over. You needed Matt Schaub to come in to save you there. Yeah. That over snuck in courtesy of Matt Schaub. But, you know, anytime you can get it over on a Matt Schaub, uh, play like that, you feel good. I'd actually had it pushed because I bought it earlier in the week. But, um, you know, the one, the one that I bet on Saturday night too that ended up going real south for me. Unfortunately, it was the Raiders uh, Jets over. If that had hit, I would have had a really, really big day. It didn't hit primarily because the Raiders scored three points. Which, you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, who? I mean, if if someone could tell you that the Jets were going to th- score thirty-four points, you would have bet your house on the over. Absolutely, yeah, I would have. I would have hammered the the. Yeah, I would have hammered the over because I would have expected. 
The Jets scoring 34 points in three straight weeks, by the way. That offense is sort of coming along, and I like the Jets looking at them this week. Uh, it's already moved up to four and a half. They're at Cincinnati. Assuming that, um, you know, Ryan Finley plays for the Bengals, I think the Jets are probably going to win this game by 10 plus points. So uh, I'm probably going to keep riding the Jets even as a, as a heavy, heaviest road favorite in this spot. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So uh, since this is an injury podcast and we talk medical stuff and you are the bro football doc, <laughs> uh, how do you incorporate injuries and what do you do with injuries into your picks, whether it's sides or totals or yeah. how does that factor in? Yeah. I mean, when you look at, you know, certain injuries to, let's say, a quarterback, right? I mean, that's going to be factored in pretty heavily in the Vegas line. Now, I do think when you're making picks throughout the week, like back when Cam Newton, when the Panthers were playing the Cardinals, Cam was not yet ruled out. There's a sense he might be ruled out. And the Panthers were one and a half point favorites or two and a half point favorites in Arizona. Well, you know, if you got the inclination that Cam might not play, you could have bet on the Cardinals as dogs. And then once the line moved, you could have come back and bet on the, the Panthers as dogs and got yourself a pretty nice window. Now, it didn't hit. You ended up losing the juice. But that's a really nice opportunity if you want to make some cash on that end. From a general perspective, when you look at injuries to major players, I think Vegas is very good about that. So like, unless you can jump ahead of it when the news comes out, then more or less, you're going to have the injury baked into the line. However, I think there are some times, Doc, when... You know, you can take an injury and say, look, you know, this is something that people are ignoring. And a great example comes from this week uh, with uh, Lane Johnson's injury. He had a concussion. He wasn't playing for the Eagles. We knew he was going to be out. There was no chance he'd play. Carson Wentz's passer rating drops 20 points when Lane Johnson doesn't play for Philadelphia. That is a huge amount. That's a massive drop off. Vegas made Philly the favorite in this game to open the week. Seattle was plus three. And that's Russell Wilson. They play well in the Eastern time zone. They're a healthy team. They're, you know, in the playoff hunt. They, you know, maybe the underlying metrics don't see them as a great team, but Philadelphia without Lane Johnson, even if Seattle was missing Jadavion Clowney, should have been downgraded more than that. It should have been a pick them when they open. And so I jumped on Seattle plus three right away. Seattle actually closed minus two and a half and still covered that. But I think there are a lot of times there are underlying injuries, um, on the offensive line and in the secondary that people don't look at because we're so fantasy focused that we get hooked into, you know, injuries to wide receivers and running backs. Whereas, you know, if you have like a situation with the Saints where Marshawn Latimer is going to be out uh, and they're playing the Bucks, well, Mike Evans over yardage total is probably a decent prop because he's not going to be shadowed by Marshawn Latimer. That's just, you know, a hypothetical there. But the Lane Johnson one is, is a prime example where if it's looking like he's probably going to miss and he doesn't practice on Wednesday uh, with a concussion issue, you know he's probably not going to play. And so there's a ton of value, I think, in taking Seattle early in the week. But, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it really speaks more, I think, the injury stuff to the underlying injuries rather than, like, the obvious, you know, Odell Beckham foot injury or whatever it would be. No no question. And uh, for the star players, uh, look, if it's a starting quarterback, the odds aren't even out <laughs> until the injury is declared. But, uh, you know, for me, I found that you're right. Uh, sometimes I, you know, can – Get it ahead of time. I remember last year at Thanksgiving when uh, the Bears were saying Mitch Trubisky. Actually, it would have been a year ago today, basically, when they were saying Mitch, Mitch yeah. Trubisky, nothing to see here on his right throwing shoulder. Head coach Nagy uh, singled out the play late in the fourth quarter on the Harrison Smith hit. I went back and looked at it and said, he's not playing on Thursday. He sublexed his shoulder. 
And I remember uh, putting out the, the Union Tribune article at 1 p.m. on Tuesday, the next day, when Schefter, Rappaport, everyone was saying, you know, he's likely to play, he'll be fine. I remember putting that article out and looking at the lines, and it was Bears minus three and a half, minus four. Yeah. And but Stafford the, was playing in that game. Like, Stafford was healthy at that point. Stafford right? was healthy. This was last year. and uh, he, he, he hadn't hurt his back last year yet. So, like, correct. he knew that Trubisky, correct. who was playing really well, wasn't going to play. There's huge value in taking the Lions at the plus points. Yeah, and, and Tuesday afternoon, Pacific time, I put the article out at 1. I went to clinic, saw patients, and at 3 p.m. I checked, and it moved across the 3. It was hit 2.5. Wow. So. You got there moving yeah. lines. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if it was me, but what else happens on Tuesday afternoon on, you know, uh, on, a, on a Thanksgiving week, a random thing. But I think the more powerful thing here, Will, that I found, and I'm not a gambler, right? I just look at things, and now that gambling's – you know, last year at this point, I, I didn't really do much because I was still worried about gambling not being legalized, right? But with the Supreme Court ruling, look, I'm a practicing doctor, so I have to pretend to be respectable, I guess. But now that gambling's legalized, I think it's uh, quite interesting. I try and look at it, and, and uh, I don't know if you had a chance to look at the injury index that we put out on our website or the field view. But to me, the more powerful thing is, you know, when you look at, let's say, the Chargers, and they have four out of five starting offensive linemen that have injury issues, that's pretty powerful. Or early this season when the Eagles had secondary issues or the one game against the Rams when uh, it looked like all four of the Browns starting defensive backs, both safeties and both corners, were going to miss and be out. Those are the opportunities where injuries come into play. And maybe in some ways more for the total in the side because – you're right. The the quarterbacks and big players are baked into the line already. For sure. I tend to, yeah, for sides, I think that I would, um, you know, like, again, just to go back to the Seattle, you know, Seattle-Philadelphia game, you know that Jadavon Clowney is going to be missing, so that sort of hurts the defense, right? But, you know, it's not the end of the world. More importantly, you know, you know Lane Johnson's going to be out. You know Alshon Jeffrey's going to be out. You know Nelson Aguilar is going to be out. Um, you know, we knew Jordan Howard was going to be out. It was going to be difficult extremely difficult, I think, for the Eagles to score points. And without Lane Johnson to protect, it was going to be difficult for them to stretch the field. We knew there was a bunch of wind. We knew there was a bunch of rainy weather. So it made a lot of sense in that spot to look at the under, I think. And so I'm with you. You know, if you think that the Chargers are uh, potentially facing a situation where they're not going to have their offensive linemen um, and Philip Rivers, especially Russell Okun, we've noticed, you know, when Russell Okun doesn't play, Rivers sees a drop off in production then maybe the under is the play in that spot. And especially even in a game like you can think about it and say, all right, let's, I'm going to watch it and bet it live and take it if, if they score early, maybe come back and get the under there. And you know, you have opportunities to window it or whatever. But I, I do think that, yeah, absolutely. The, the injuries play a huge factor in the side and maybe more so uh, there because you're able to gain an advantage on the, on the game as a, as a full game perspective. And you mentioned live betting. Are you doing any live betting stuff now? Do you think that's the future? I mean, it is in Europe. 80% of the money is, is in game or live. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent the future. I mean, it's, uh, like, you know, I thought, uh, the Patriots Cowboys game was a great example because sometimes these algorithms don't exactly, you know, they don't account for, I mean, usually they, you know, they're very good. Don't get me wrong, but you know, that over under sat at between 40 and 45 for basically the entire first half. And there was no reason not to just kind of pepper it over and over again. You could watch that game and there was no way that those two teams were going to manage to combine for 40 points. I mean, it just wasn't going to happen. Not with the way 
Jason Garrett coaches in conservative fashion. Not with that win in Foxborough. Now you got lucky, you know, missed a few field goals here. You know, don't have great looks to go for it on fourth down and all that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think by and large that live betting is a, is a, is a great opportunity. If you can look at certain spots and say, okay, you know, this is not going to, you know, they're like, they're not like, I can tell by the flow of this game, they're not going to score a ton of points. Now having said that, I got hosed bad betting the NC state live under against Louisville heavily a couple of weeks ago. I was out, I was out of the game and it's just wind is whipping side to side, pouring, you know, dumping rain. I was like, there's no way these guys are going to, are going to score here. And, um, and then they scored two, like two touchdowns in two minutes to start the third quarter and it went over. So, you know, you can get burnt pretty bad in those spots too. Well, I always say, right, the ball's not round, right? So there's going to be the funny bounces that happen within a game. It changes things. But the one thing I like about the, uh, the wagering space, like if you're 60% right, you're a god, a god, right? Yeah. And, uh, 55 and you're awesome, right? For what I do with the injury information, I feel like, I mean, I've documented up to 95% correct, but when I am wrong, boy, people just kill me over it. <laughs> oh, well, that, I mean, that's just how it works. You know, it's, I mean, the same thing with me. Like if I do a great breakdown of X, you know, X, X, and X, and I explain why this pick is right, you know, nobody's like tweeting me like, great job, you nailed the pick. But like if you, if you whiff on it, you whiff on some best bets, you're getting tweets. I mean, that's just that's how it works. You're not, nobody's out here on the internet dapping each other up, congratulating us on, on, on great work. People are out here looking to tear each other down. And unfortunately, <laughs> how it works. And especially in the, in the injury field too, where, you know, I mean, you could have a situation where you're not going to know until you see the results. You know, the MRI can, you know, you're not going to know for sure. I mean, diagnosing from, you know, from afar. At, at a distance is, is inherently just going to be more difficult. And, you know, it's also, you're talking about different, different human beings, right? Like, I don't know. I didn't, I can't remember exactly what your diagnosis was for. Actually, you were right on Patrick Mahomes, I think, right? Didn't you get Mahomes? Yeah, I need dislocation in game. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But and I, mean, I said, I said back in, back in three to four weeks, he came back in three, three point five. Yeah. yeah but like when you, I, I think I remember seeing you say that. I was like, there's no way he's coming back in three weeks. Like, I'm not, not that I doubted you, but I was like, I mean, I just saw that guy's kneecap sticking out. Like, you know, and so I think that's part of the problem too is that, you know, a lot of times these injuries can look worse than they are. And then, in, you know, the cases like the ACL, a lot of times the injury doesn't even look bad. You know, it's a non-contact injury and fans, the general fan will look at it and be like, well, that's, you know, he just, he just hit his knee, you know, just got hit by a turf monster and he fell down. Well, that could be the worst possible injury as opposed to Mahomes lying on the ground having to have his kneecap pop back in. No, no, no question. This one, this week I had a fun one. Uh, well, uh, I guess not a fun one because it ended up being a bad injury, but, uh, <laughs> in the Thursday game, uh, Colts and Texans, their backup linebacker on a special teams play went down. And I said, uh oh, by video ACL and probable MCL, you know, significant yeah. worry. And, uh, within five minutes, uh, the Texans PR department put out on Dylan Cole calf injury, questionable to return. Mm. <laughs> now, I, got, I got a lot of grief on that. <laughs> like, a lot of times when we're talking about those PR things, like, you know, you can say whatever you want, but those, those are not always the, uh, the most accurate. Like sometimes <laughs> people will fudge them a little bit. I'm not accusing a PR staff of fudging, but let's be realistic here, doc. Sometimes, uh, what you, you know, what you see from the PR staff, it could be like neck injury. It's like, no, that's a concussion. I know that's a concussion. Cause I saw, I mean, like I saw it. That's a, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes you have to be a little, like it's tough. It's a tough spot for you because of what's being announced and what you're seeing. No question. And unfortunately, it turns out to be ACL, of course, on Dylan Cole by the next day. But my point is this. I, people, 
I actually look if if teams were completely straightforward and there was no such thing as coach speak, I don't think I would have a social media following or people would be interested. If everyone actually knew what was going on, everyone was straightforward. You wouldn't need me to interpret what's going on or to yeah. uh, to uh, to uh, try and let people in on uh, well, on what's happening. I mean, heck, George Kittle was an example. I didn't know how bad his ankle was, of course, yeah. but looking at that knee hyperextension, like it was Thanksgiving, and I remember being out trick or treating. I looked on my phone, and then by the time I looked at it, I mean, gee, I mean, I I knew it wasn't serious, like season ending. But uh, within a few minutes after that, he you know scored this big long touchdown. But at halftime, I still came out and said, "Boy, I'm not sure he's going to play the second half." And he did, but he didn't play the fourth quarter, right? And then even when the MRI came back as minor issues, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like coach speak to me, even though the 49ers are pretty honest. And I still said multi-week. And, um, you know, he had a great game yesterday, and he will go going forward. But uh, he did miss, uh, what, three and, well, he was out three and a half weeks from Thanksgiving yeah. from, from the game last different, different humans respond differently. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, you talk about the PR people, but, like, I mean, you know, Al Michaels and Chris Collins, they're trying to figure out why Mitchell Trubisky's not on the field. We're later told it's a hip injury, and the Bears PR staff has no information to provide them at the time of Mitchell Trubisky being held on the sidelines by Matt Nagy. Like it's, you know, that's where it becomes hard to buy into whatever, whatever sort of thing you're being sold because, you know, it doesn't, like, you're like, look, you can tell me it's a hip injury all you want, but I'm watching what's happening on the field, and it appears to be more of a benching than a hip injury. Well, yeah, and and I actually came out and defended Nagy and Trubisky. I do believe there was a hip injury, hip pointer. It happened with 39 seconds left in the before the second half, and I, of course, I didn't get to it till later that night or the next morning. And if you look at him, Michael Brockers knees him in the back of the hip hard enough as he's going down that he actually fumbles the ball momentarily, jars the ball ball loose, sure. and that does get more sore. But I think where you get it is the situation, his poor play, and the insistence of. It was only the hip injury, and that's the only reason I took him out. If it was like, well, you know, he had an injury that was making it harder for him to play, that might have, you know, been more believable. But the fact that he was, like, implying that he couldn't play because of the hip injury, and right. that wasn't the case, obviously. The so. whole, he watched the whole thing across the board in terms of the explanation, especially when he's like, he could barely sit down or walk or snap the ball. It's like, well, you ran him on an option on third and two when you really needed a first down. So I have a little trouble, like, you know, just like, Finding a a mesh point here where the truth and you know where the injury and all this lies. No question, and 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 you know, look. Uh, in some ways, everyone hates on the Patriots, right? But I appreciate what they do. They don't lie at all. They just don't tell you anything. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're not lying. They don't tell you. Tom Brady questionable with his elbow. There's nothing wrong with that. He probably had something with his elbow. There's no such thing as a probable designation anymore. So they throw out a questionable and. Meanwhile, there's 12 guys that are questionable, and they play hide the bacon, and no one's worried about Mohamed Sanu or Philip Dorsett anymore. Everyone's worried about Tom Brady. That's actually a really good point because they've been putting Brady on the injury report for years, and when it happens, it's always like – if it's a new one, uh, it's always a story. You know, it's an update on NFL Network. Uh, It's an ESPN alert. It's, uh, you know, somebody at CBS is writing an article about it, and no one is talking about the fact that – uh, you know, three of their four starting wide receivers may or may not play. I don't want to pile on Jason Garrett. I'm doing that up for my column on CBSSports.com right now as I'm writing it. But like, if you if you know you're going up against Jason Garrett and you list Tom Brady on Friday as questionable with a right elbow injury, 
there's a 100% chance Jason Garrett's going to waste at least two and a half hours of his preparation time for this football game discussing with other people Tom Brady's injury. They're just not going to dismiss it outright the way, you know, like if, if Dak was on the injury report, but Belichick's not, he's like, whatever, I'm not, we're not dealing with this. We're not wasting time. Focus on the game. I guarantee you that sort of thing causes some sort of hubbub in Dallas and, and at least throws them off and wastes some of their preparation for the game and it distracts them from the rest of the injury report. So yeah, the Patriots, the masters of the subterfuge. <laughs> yeah, the uh, hide the bacon game. And, and one of the clues is whenever you see a dozen players on there, there, you know there's one or two significant ones not playing. You just have to figure out which ones. <laughs> That's the unusual week. Anyways, I promise I'd get you out of here. Will, uh, pleasure to uh, chat. Met all expectations. Uh, thank you for coming on when you didn't really even know who I was. We've never even met before. I appreciate that. No, of course, Doc. Anytime. Uh, always a good time. And uh, we will appear later on the same podcast, but not like a different podcast, Fantasy Football Today, which I have to go record with our mutual friend, Adam Azure. Thanks for having me on, man. Thank you. That's the great Will Brinson. We'll take a break and we'll come back with the uh, third segment where we do our injury uh, rundown for the week uh, after post-week 12. Thank you very much. More now with Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. All right, welcome back to the third and final segment of the Pro Football Doc Podcast. I enjoyed their Will there, uh, Greg. I didn't really know him very well, but uh, I thought he was good. He's he's a good guy. He's a fun guy. Oh yeah, and he really knows his sports and his sports betting. I have had him once before on one of the odd other podcasts that I do on this network. That's go with Steve Heitner. He brought it there. He brought it here. Always a good chat. Absolutely, absolutely, and. Uh, you know, I actually, off the topic, but I actually got a, finally uh, got a chance to meet Steve uh, at that charity thing. And nice guy, nice guy. Brings me back to uh, my younger days and the <laughs> Seinfeld stuff. All right, so let's go through the injury uh, rundown, and we'll start at quarterbacks here. Carson Wentz, we talked about it a little bit at the top of the show. Hand injury, a contusion near his third finger. Good news, should not affect his grip. Should be fine. Will practice this week. Medical workup essentially negative. He's not injury prone. Much to do about nothing. This is not a Drew Brees issue. Carson Wentz will be fine this week going forward. Other issues. Tom Brady. I didn't notice anything with his elbow. As we mentioned, more of a game of legal hide the bacon. I'm sure he had an elbow issue. And questionable is anywhere from, it's not 50-50, it's uh, any chance he might not play, it's questionable because probable is no longer a designation. No worries about Tom Brady. Jameis Winston did fine with his ankle, actually got a victory. Deshaun Watson was on Thursday, he did fine with his high ankle. Matt Stafford, he's not going to play on Thanksgiving. Uh he won't go on injury reserve unless the Lions are out of it. He's just that tough. But as we've talked about, more than just an isolated transverse process fracture, upper thoracic injury fracture, December at the earliest, and I'd say maybe mid-December for Matthew Stafford. Let's move on to some running backs. Matt Breida didn't play. He's out. I think he probably could elevate and, and come back uh, next week. Devonta Freeman was out again. I think he's out another week before he comes back from his foot sprain, at least another week. Uh, Jordan Howard still out with the shoulder issue. It's a stinger. 
Look, uh, if the nerve hasn't woken up yet, don't hold your breath on this week. Uh, let's see him practicing first with contact. It's a slow sunrise. It's no longer, if, it's, if the nerve doesn't wake up quickly like a light switch, it is a slow sunrise. So uh, Jordan Howard will still have to follow. James Conner didn't play this week with his AC joint. And my best guess is another week before he comes back for James Conner. Damian Williams for the uh, Chiefs on a bye, anterior rib cartilage issue. He'll be better. Uh, he could play next week with an injection, but I'm not sure that he'll be 100%. And the same goes with Marlon Mack. Missed Thursday's game. He's got a right-hand third metacarpal fracture. He absolutely could play this week in Week 13 for the Colts, but has to carry the ball exclusively in the uh, left hand. Nothing in the passing game or pass protection modify his game, but I would not rule him out for this week at all. Let's hit some wide receivers. Brandon Cooks is back for the uh, first time here from his concussions. Juju Smith-Schuster was out with his knee and concussion. I looked at the video. I think it's more concussion than knee. I didn't see a lot on the knee, which is good news, and hopefully he can be back next week. Alshon Jeffrey's getting close, but did not play with an ankle. He's got a 50-50 chance, maybe even a little better to play next week finally. And the uh, Eagles really need him. Eight, uh, uh, Nelson Aguilar's knee is probably still out again. hes I don't think he's that close yet. A.J. Green, still another week or two. I mean, I think it was two or three weeks ago I said at least a month. And uh, yes, he may end up going on injured reserve. He may not play this season the way it goes, but I wouldn't count on this next week either. For those of people who have been hanging on to A.J. Green all year for fantasy and for fantasy playoffs, I don't know if that's going to pay off for you. Mohamed Sanu did not play as well as Philip Dorsett. Philip Dorsett with concussion. Mohamed Sanu with a mild high ankle. I think it's mild. I think Sanu can go next week. Hopefully Dorsett will get cleared and go. The other big one is Tyreek Hill. Hamstring injury, mild on a bye. I'm not sure he goes this week. Because of the speed, quick, fast twitch guy that he is, uh, there's a chance of re-aggravation if he goes too soon. So, I'm leaning towards no on Tyree Kill, but we'll see how his week goes. DJ Moore hyperextended his elbow, finished the game, should be fine. Julio Jones, a big one, went down on his right shoulder, did come back into the game. I think he got an AC joint injection. It was an AC joint sprain. Short week, not much practice. Not much practice for anyone this week. Short week there. and uh, But I still think he's got a good chance to play in the game if he'll take the pregame injection. And uh, Renfro, the uh, Raiders ride receiver with some rib issues. Let's move on to tight end uh, George Kittle. Bone bruise or capsular injury in his knee and a fracture in his ankle. Chip fracture, not a structural fracture. Had a good game. And guess what? Kittle fans and 49er fans, next week will be even better. He's probably put this essentially behind him. Austin Hooper is still out. He's probably put this essentially behind him. And then Austin Hooper of the Falcons with his MCL. I think he's another week at least before he returns. And and I know Hooper wants to return. I know guys who own him in fantasy want to have him. But I don't think he's as concerned about fantasy or fantasy playoffs as getting his knee right. And, of course, the Falcons aren't going anywhere this year. So might lead to another week or more. David Njoku, I think he's coming back. 
Uh, I would, my best guess is he has a chance to play this week. And the reason why I say that is it was a scaphoid fracture. It was a wrist injury. So he's been able to run, train, work out, get acclimated to football and get in and out of routes and different things. So uh, I think his return to play timeline is quicker than most. And I would look for Njoku to maybe play this week. Delaney Walker is still lingering somewhat with his ankle. And we talked about at the beginning of the season that his ankle would probably have him at less than 100%. And uh, unfortunately, that's lingered longer than even I thought. And Evan Ingram with his uh, foot was still out with a midfoot list Frank injury and uh, maybe another week for him. And the big bad news for tight ends is Eric Ebron headed to injured reserve, needs surgery on both ankles. He's had a lackluster year, probably been dealing with both ankles. The problem is when it's both ankles, you literally don't have a good leg to stand on. You can't favor one side and therefore He's out. Not sure if his surgery is a cleanup scope or a ligament tightening, but he's out for the season. Offensive lineman Isaiah Wynn came back, seemed to play okay from his toe. First game back for the Patriots after injured reserve. Cordy Glenn, first game back after concussion for the Bengals. Two left tackles played. Brandon Brooks left with an illness that was later determined to be anxiety disorder, something that he has embraced publicly to try and win the battle. He had some issues in Texas. He even tweeted about it, talking about the anxiety and what he went through. So good on him to uh, embrace it, embrace the challenge. But anxiety is real. And boy, it's hard to figure out what the outcome is going to be. Hopefully the Eagles will get on top of it. They just, in the last two weeks, gave him a $56.2 million four-year contract extension. I don't know. Maybe he feels the pressure of living up to expectations. I mean, he did a great job coming back from the Achilles from January. Maybe it was uh, he didn't have his right tackle next to him, Lane Johnson. And Andre Dillard hadn't played there in the NFL ever. So maybe uh, that had to do with it. Who knows? I don't want to put anything out there that I don't know as fact. But uh, hopefully he uh, deals with it and gets better. Lane Johnson should be back this next week, which is good. For the Jets, Beecham was out a little bit, but Adoga, his backup, has an MCL sprain. Let's talk about a couple of defenders. Leighton Vander Esch did not play with his neck issue. I'm not sure how much is related to his uh, college issues, where maybe he dropped in the dropped in the draft. The Cowboys are insistent it's not long term. There's a chance with his herniated disc that he's going to get neck surgery and be looking at next season. So. Let's keep our eye out on Leighton Vander Esch. What a luxury to have Sean Lee as the backup. Jadavian Clowney did not play with his core muscle issue. He visited the doctor in Philadelphia, but did not play. I think Clowney's trying to play through the year and have surgery in the offseason. So let's see how effective he can be. TJ Watt has a bone bruise, the good kind of bone bruise, not the kind that we thought George Kittle had. Not the intra-articular kind, but a direct bone bruise where his kneecap or knee hit a helmet. That's just a pain tolerance thing. He should be okay. Jerron Reed of the Seahawks, an ankle sprain. Derwin James, still his 21-day window isn't open for the Chargers yet. So look for him at least two weeks after his practice window opens. And it hasn't opened yet. And then Dontari Poe, I fear not good for the Panthers D-lineman. Dontari Poe. I'm worried about a patella tendon rupture that has not been announced, 
The head coach has agreed significant injury MRI pending, but with a patella tendon rupture would mean surgery and end of his season. So hopefully uh, we get good news on Dontari Poe. That's kind of it for our injury rundown, other than uh, the egos bruised of the of your Packers, Greg. Yeah, it's a little bit of a tough one. And I'm taking a look at Twitter, and I think that we covered most of them. And there's no questions coming in from the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> yes. Any more games in California this year? I don't think so. We are good there. All right. So then you got a chance. You got a chance. Unless, of course, it's a playoff game against the 49ers. Oh, don't don't even bring that up because that game would be in San Francisco more than likely. <laughs> well, at this rate, uh, almost for sure, right? Because you lost the head-to-head tiebreaker and you're behind them, but two losses in the last column. So it's really three games back. Uh, you're not going to catch the 49ers. Although they have a tough stretch right now. They play a lot of hard teams. Beast of the week. A pretty easy one. Got to give him a lot of credit because of his attitude and powering through two injuries, a knee and the ankle. George Kittle made a very successful return Sunday night. Six catches, 129 yards, a touchdown, looked good. And Adam Schefter reported he broke a bone in his ankle. And uh, when that was announced, I said, you know, George Kittle is superhuman and superman, but he's still human. And it wasn't going to be a structural fracture, but it's still a fracture, a chip fracture. And the head coach confirmed that. And with the knee issue too, bone bruise or hyperextension of the knee, as well as the ankle, I think he made a very good comeback. And so he impressed me. And so chip fracture or not chip fracture, it's still a fracture, still two injuries. He still came back and played where you couldn't really tell he had anything. And his injury should be behind him. This week's Beast of the Week is going to be George Kittle there. And with that... That's it for the Pro Football Doc podcast this Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll see you again on Periscope and other things on Thursday during the uh, Turkey Day. And thanks for listening.